Welcome to Plato's Gravity. Nope. I'm Aaron. No, nope. no, nope. you start been talking so much louder. Try it again. Welcome to Plato's Gravity. I'm okay, Aaron. hold on. Okay, now you're at a good you're at a good spot. I'm sorry that you were so quiet I, I and when I was down. setting I can just levels. Turn it down. Welcome to Plato's Gravity. This is Aaron. That's not you can't turn it down after I adjusted for you being louder. That's Whoa. not how this works. It's probably you, you're probably like changing me from like eighty percent to one hundred percent, all of which are acceptable. Do it again. Welcome to Plato's Gravity. This is Aaron, and I am exercising my right to bear arms. Uh, That's right. Jason, Sun's out. Guns out. It, the shoulders are flaring. I'm getting sassy when it, I let the boys out. Are it, you ready for the gun show? It's an, sir? Audio, it's an audio podcast, so our listeners will have no idea that Jason very awkwardly took off his jacket. I did. Can you believe that they let me walk into work like this? Uh, yeah. And you, some people you're, still take me seriously. You're a developer. That's how it works. It's right? true. I yeah. shower occasionally. Okay, but first, what's your name? Jason. Jason. Fantastic. We are excited to... Uh, be here. We're recording for the second time at uh, my mother-in-law's house. We've been displaced from our normal studio, uh, but I like to announce our first on the show. So today we're going to welcome Bob Mack to the show. And and the first is this is the first time we've had someone uh, from Bob's uh, corner of the industry. And while he's no longer um, in that particular corner, uh, Bob has worked with uh, in, in software for beer distributors and for beer distributors. So it'll be an interesting uh, uh, perspective to bring to the show. Bob, uh, thanks for taking the time. Well, uh, thank you, Aaron. And I'm always in somebody's corner. Uh, so. So uh, not far from the truth, um, but I've been around the beer industry or in the beer industry for about 15 years. I will say I'm a little intimidated sitting across from Jason's guns. It is uh, tough. So yeah. if I get a little hey. uh, gun shy here during the show. Uh, these are licensed. Okay. <laughs> I have yeah. a right to these. Yeah. He, he's, he brought the safety out as well. Oh, good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. That's reassuring. Yeah. Yeah. Always yeah. practice safe. Uh, sun's out, guns outing. Safe sun's out, guns outing. Yes. Yeah. Is there like a manual online? Can you guys Google that and see? Maybe it'll be in the shots. Maybe. Uh, uh, no. Yeah, we'll see. I asked the listeners to Google something, and then I said it would be in the shots, <laughs> which means I have to Google it. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's no good. Just making more work for yourself, Aaron. What are we doing right now? We uh, we're drinking a beer. That's how we start the show. Oh, is uh, it? And we we start uh, drinking the we start the show by drinking a beer chosen by our guest. So, Bob, uh, you chose for us a beer today. What we got? I chose Three Floyd's Alpha King, uh, a beer that I've been a big fan of for uh, fourteen, fifteen years. I think it's probably when I first had Alpha King. Three Floyd's been around for a while. Alpha King's been around for a sure. while. Um, I just love the balance of malt and hops. It's definitely hop forward, no question about it. I love the Amarillo hops that they use in this, uh, which is kind of a calling card for Three Floyds. Right. Mm. Um, love that. But it's not uh, a uh, melt-your-teeth IPA. Right. This yeah. is an IPA you can sit back. In fact, I took some in cans to the Indianapolis 500 this year. Right, and you, you gotta you gotta be careful with the uh, with the hot bombs at the 500. You'll dry yourself out in a hurry. You will, you will. But they went down very nicely uh, for several hours. Nice. Uh, so it was a perfect beer for that day. Um, it's just been a fan of Three Floyds, obviously, like a lot of people. Um, historically, they make fantastic beers. Uh, they make beers that I like, like you, Aaron. I'm a bit of a hop head. Yeah. Uh, so Three Floyds is a great go-to. Uh, and back in, frankly, 04, 05, when I really found Alpha King, mm-hmm. um, it was, uh, dare I say, the the best IPA 
right. in the state because not a lot of brewers out there and not a lot of them doing great IPAs. Yeah. Now, today it's a little different. The landscape's definitely changed. There's great IPAs out there like Daredevil Liftoff we talked Lift a little off bit about earlier. Listeners of the show will know I have like a I have a thing for liftoff, and my wife is actually yeah. a little worried about it. It's it's a <laughs> oh, it's understandable. Yeah. It's fantastic, and I think uh, uh, Upland Dragonfly, which is yeah. uh, a little bit more of a sessionable IPA too, which I think is fantastic. Um, I used to drink a fair amount of Dreadnought from Three Floyds, which right. is an Imperial IPA. Uh, yeah, but. You can't drink a ton of Dreadnought. You certainly don't want to drink it at no, the Indy no. 500. No, you, you, will, you will not have a very good day. You might have a great day, actually. You would have a tough night. Uh, it, yes. Um, it'd be awesome if Three Floyds made a sessionable American pale ale. Uh, it could even be their pride and joy, Three Floyds. Jason could. Jason misses th- pride and joy. I've heard Pride and Joy mentioned, I think, on the show before. <laughs> yeah, uh, Jason. They'll never bring it back. Every I, they, I got excited. Like I always get Pride and Joy and Robert the Bruce, their uh, Scottish Hale mixed up. What? So whenever I see Robert, because they still make Robert the Bruce and yeah. it's, it's in liquor stores. Every yeah. time I see Robert the Bruce in a liquor store, I'm like, oh, I'm going to get that for, oh, it's not Pride and Joy. It's Robert the Bruce. Um, so this beer, I, I like, we, we, I had some of this beer. We had a six pack uh, and Jason mm-hmm. and I had some on Sunday. So uh, now we're having some again. Uh, so I've had uh, some time to think about this beer. Um <laughs> I, I, I think you're yeah it's definitely creamy and you hit the nail on the head in terms of the the balance because it, it's very hoppy but then there's it's it's, it's like there's there's probably some is, is there a crystal malt in here do you know i don't know the malt bill certainly don't but uh, it supports everything in this beer so and i think what, what's interesting is three floyds has been around for a long time and they've they've certainly scaled and grown and they're they're they were a big deal then uh and now they're a very big deal uh do you think this beer has changed or is this beer still doing the, the same thing for you in my mind, it still does the same thing for me. I, I think maybe I would say maybe in 04, I was less attuned to the hops, um, and they might have been a little more powerful, a little more overwhelming to me mm. um, back in those days. But I, I think it's my taste that's evolved. Right. I don't think it's the beer. Now, I know uh, some people might take issue with that, um, and we talk about that with other beers at times. But to me, Alpha King is still a delicious beer, um, and it still fits the same niche for me that it did 14 or 15 years ago. Right. And I think the... the Go ahead, Jason. Well, honestly, I don't know that it is hoppy enough right now that if it were to come onto the market, people would even think of it as like an IPA, like a like an overhopped IPA. Right. Like it's there, but the malt character comes through so well. Well, I think like in comparison, another another famous beer of this kind of era, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, uh, which is you know a, a just it defines the style. Basically, right. they stopped. I just, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and the 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 guest was a beer writer for uh, Beer and Brewing Magazine, and, and he knows some folks at Sierra Nevada, and he suggested. Uh, they stopped entering it in the GABF because it was it wouldn't win anymore. Like the style that it defined has evolved to the point where Sierra Nevada Pale Ale doesn't get medals. Uh, you and, know that's a shame, but I, you know in the brewing world, certainly every brewer recognizes Sierra Pale for what it is. Yeah, absolutely, uh, the gold standard. Uh, yeah, and I'm really a big fan of their new marketing campaign. It tells me to enjoy it outdoors. Uh, yes. I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. That's great. I'll do that. Uh, give me one of those. And uh, if I had to drink it outdoors, that's fine, Sierra. You, you can, uh, you can Absolutely. maybe drink it outdoors. Perhaps in the Sierra Nevada mountains. I mean, I'm, I'm probably going to have it right here in the flatlands of uh, Indiana. Touche. Yeah. I don't, I'm Very not going nice. to go to the mountains to drink uh, beer. 
Any place that you can drink good beer is a good place to that's, drink beer. That's that's fantastic. <sighs> so, um, so you have some experience working uh, from a beer distributor, and and actually, when you were working for a beer distributor, it was sort of in the middle of this craft beer boom, at least as, especially in the time where in Indiana it, it got it got big. So, um, what is that like? Kind of watching that from from that vantage point. It is fascinating, and it's a different world today. When I started uh, with uh, world class beer which is part of Monarch Beverage back in 2004, there were not more than 30 brewers in the state of Indiana, just to put a number on it. And there were maybe a ways, a little ways over 1,000 brewers nationally. Okay. Today, there are somewhere in the ballpark of 7,000 brewers nationally, mm. over 100 brewers in the state of Indiana, um, and growing. Um, it is an amazing, amazing difference. Um, we envisioned our mission at World Class Beer in 2004 uh, and the mid-2000s to be to encourage the growth of the local craft beer scene. Sure. And we spent a lot of time and energy doing that. Um, and I don't say that by any means thinking uh, that, that we take any sort of credit or responsibility for that. Quite the, quite the opposite. It's, it's the, the public and the enthusiasm of the brewers that has driven that. Um, but... Today is a different world, and you do see uh, what was then kind of uh, Wild West, uh, I might call it. It was wide open territory. Right. There was plenty of demand out there to be met. I think today you're seeing uh, some industry consolidation. Sometimes it's craft brewers buying craft brewers. Sometimes it's the macro big brewers right. buying craft brewers. Sometimes it's corporations or even foreign entities or brokerages buying craft brewers. Um, because the market has become much more competitive than it was back then. And I think to that point, um, I would I would have been enthusiastic about starting a, a good brewery in 2004, 2005. Sure. I'd think more than twice about it today because it is hyper-competitive. Back then, we kind of complained about the lack of good local beer in the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, no offense to any local brewers. Today, there is a lot of good local right. beer in the market. Um, I'm grateful for that as a consumer. Um, I think distributors generally are quite grateful for that. Uh, but it does make it much harder uh, to gain entry into that business. So a, a, lot, of, a lot of brewers have, have taken a different track to, to gain entry. So, and, I, and I think... In some sense, when when the beer industry uh, is hopping and you have a piece of it, that's great. Um, I didn't I didn't even do it on purpose, guys. Um, and you have a piece of it, that's great. But Good night, everybody. A lot of people, it's over. Just shut it down. Uh, no, don't hit the button, Jason. Don't, don't, don't. I, okay. Uh, don't, don't do it. Um, so a lot of people ha- have tried to kind of instead of having that competition where you know they're fighting for the distributor's time and money and energy in putting their beer into the world they just sell it over the tap they yeah. have lower volumes uh great model so from the you know if you put yourself in the uh, I'm a distributor and I want to uh make money for my distribute my company but I also want this industry to grow how do you approach those guys i mean is it you feel like that's good for the distribution in general or do you think that it pros is a challenge or a threat i think it's good now and i and I'll say that that's my personal opinion. I am not going to fudge on this one. There are certainly distributors or people within distributorships who don't like the idea of anybody else selling beer but a distributor. Sure. And I kind of see that. It's it's a business, mm-hmm. and you want to have the biggest amount of profit and biggest share of that profit that you can get. However, from a from a beer 
enthusiast standpoint, and I'm not a brewer, I'm an enthusiast, although I've done a little home brewing, nice. um, not to your level, Aaron. I don't know if that's uh, accurate. My, my level is quite mediocre of late. Okay. Well, yeah. it's, it's more, better than my, my level of brewing. Yeah. At any rate, um, what I think we loved at World Class Beer back in those days, um, and even up until uh, recently, up to about three years ago when I was still there, um, we loved the experience the lessons um, and the development that would occur in that process for a brewer. For example, in Indiana, it's legal to self-distribute. If you're a brewer, right. you can distribute up to 90,000 barrels, which is a lot, of, a beer, lot of beer yeah. um, yourself uh, without having to be locked into any distributor uh, arrangement or deal. Um, again, at the distributorship, there were people who thought differently. Right. But we always felt like, gosh, you know what? That's a great learning opportunity. And to your point, if you're selling beer over the counter in growlers or if you're canning and selling those over the counter right. or bottles, um, you can make a little bit more of a margin uh, because you're not involving the transportation process or anybody else in that. Um, and it's a great opportunity for you to get direct feedback from the public face-to-face about your beer, uh, what works and what doesn't work. We always felt, uh, my former uh, boss, Jim Scambry and I, we always felt that somebody who came to us with that background, with that knowledge and experience was going to be a better business partner um, than somebody who was fresh to the world of distribution just in general. Well, I, I think one of the things that's kind of fascinated me as I, as I read and, and listen to, to different stories of, of, of brewers, um, especially smaller guys um, in terms of – by small, I mean big enough to be in the distributor's wheelhouse but not big enough to, 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 to kind of have influence or impact – but they do care so much about the quality. They do care about, you know, are, are you going to keep my beer cold? Um, do I need to pasteurize this beer? What? So can you talk about how craft, uh, craft brewers or, or small independent brewers have, have, have driven the industry, uh, if at all? I think uh, you hit a key word there, quality. Uh, uh, quality has definitely been driven. Um, we talked a little bit about this earlier too, but you do see uh, the Miller Coors of the world, the Budweiser's of the world, openly talking about the quality and the process of their beer these days. Not something you really saw 10, 12, 15 years ago. Right. Um, there's a consciousness out there. And I think the availability of wide variety of breweries and beers um, has helped increase um, the consumer perception of quality and, and brought it to a higher standard. But that was always um, a question mark. We we always wanted to have partnerships with brewers that were committed to quality, right. um, have laboratories, or at least have access to a laboratory where they, they could understand the biology of what was happening, mm. um, and that their packaging process was done properly uh, so that the beer wasn't getting bad, and to your point, cold storage later. Um, now, pure cold storage doesn't always happen. Right. State of Indiana, there are legal issues around that, in fact. Yeah, you get you got to get that beer at Meyer. It's just not... Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. You can go buy cold cider, but whatever. Right, exactly yeah. right. But um, quality has definitely increased. Um, say, woe betide, to quote Captain Quig uh, from uh, many years ago. That's going to be in the show. <laughs> I don't get the reference, but I'm going to find it. All right, all right. Uh, woe betide... Uh, the brewer that doesn't pay attention to quality, right? When I, I think what's what's really interesting about the quality aspect um, f- for me is I think there's like this gap and there's this space where you can make shit beer and, and, and make a living, but you have to do it in a way where your target audience doesn't give a shit. Um, and Great. and 
so I, I, I I've think been, I've been I've been to those breweries. Well, you know, I, I've been kind of thinking a lot about it because I feel like if you listen to this show, you know that I am a begrudging beer snob. Like I just am a beer snob, and I got to get over it. And I try. I, I think I got to. I like judge that them. you're trying to insert I, the word beer in front of snob. But. Come on, damn it, Jason. <laughs> um, but but I think there's. I think as much as I want to be like judgmental and kind of crabby when I go into a bar and I get a beer that's not very good quality, not everyone who, not every drinker who goes into that bar is going to care if their beer has an off flavor or even no. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think in some sense, if you can sell the beer and you're creating relationships, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's 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 not going to last and you can't scale. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean. It's it's really something I've given a lot of thought about, but I don't have much to much to say really. Which is no, it's a great point, and I think that's where beer education comes into play, right. because I think the more the consumer knows about beer, uh, the more they're able to make judgments. And I'm not expecting everybody to be a, a sommelier or a cicerone in yeah, the beer yeah, world. That's the, uh, yeah. Yes, that's the beer education uh, gold standard. There, the gold standard. Yeah. Yes, it is. Um, but. To have a basic understanding, a basic, a basic knowledge, and, and some points of comparison to be able to say this is good beer and this is a mediocre beer or a bad beer, um, I think helps to reward the brewer who strives for quality, who's committed and passionate about quality, versus the brewers who are not. And um, I think you're right. I think there is uh, always a, a niche for those brewers who aren't as committed or passionate sure. to quality as they should be, perhaps. Um, and that can work uh, for limited audiences, um, but it's also not going to scale. So we used to think of it, and these may, these may be crude terms, and some brewers might take uh, exception to this. We used to think about that as kind of the difference between a brew pub mentality mm-hmm. and a commercial brewing mentality. And by commercial brewing, I mean a, a brewer who was going to bottle or package beer keg it or can it, uh, and send it out to stores, restaurants, bars, etc. That beer that's being packaged is going to be sitting on somebody's shelf for some undetermined length of time. Um, the beer in the brew pub is very often consumed within a few days. Yeah, and you, you have beer that's fresh, and you have a control, and you know it's cold, and none yes. of the things that can befall a, a warmed beer will happen. Yes. So the brew pub mentality can be successful with a somewhat more casual approach. And I, again, I know some, some brew pubs that are just doing a fantastic job and, right. and I would never question their quality, but it's possible, I think, or more likely to get away with that um, in the brew pub environment, uh, the casual approach, um, than it is in the commercial brewing approach. Uh, and I love it when guys are successful, guys and girls are successful at right. both, when they can scale up and be successful at both because they're committed and passionate about quality. So, so I, I think this kind of passion for quality, um, and and then also like this reaction to the the hop bombiness, has led us to kind of two places in the beer industry where you have the haze craze, which is fun, um, and then you also have this kind of return by craft brewers to to light lagers and pilsners, right. and it, uh, I, I think in some places it's uncovering those flaws. Um, it, which brings me back. So I've known Bob for a fair amount of time, uh, and I used to pick his brain before I knew nearly as much about beer as I did, and he was sort of like the, the guy, the, my beer guy. Um, so we, I don't know if you recall this conversation, Bob, but I, we, we talked about, we were talking about big beer and small breweries, mm-hmm. um, and you made a comment, and you said, you said, you know, I think if you're going to be a craft brewer or an independent brewer, uh, you need to have something that's interesting and flavorful and you can't try to make light lagers because you can't beat the big guys. Uh-huh. And I think, I, I think, 
having had a lot of light lagers that are not that good, but having had some that are pretty damn good. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think, I, I think it's an interesting take that you had. I don't think it's entirely wrong, but in this kind of wave of new light loggers and pilsners, has your stance changed or how do you feel about that? I, I think it has evolved, uh, in more recent years to the place where loggers are certainly much more in demand, uh, mm-hmm. even by the craft beer enthusiast, mm-hmm. uh, or craft beer snob or beer geek or what have you. But I still believe in the basic premise. I don't think, um, that a craft brewer is generally going to be successful with a flagship, let's, let's say 70 or 80% of their production right. being in, a, in their version, let's call it, of a more mainstream lager. Um, I think you still need to offer variety and choice, um, and I think you still need to have those interesting options out there. I think you have to have a blend is probably the best way to think about it uh, for me um, of those options. Now, definitely there's more enthusiasm. We talked a little bit about a Munich Hellas style right. um, before the podcast. It's a great style, and it's a summer. Fantastic beer to drink. It's still flavorful. Um, it's not common. Uh, you don't see a lot of them around, et cetera. Um, and I would love to see more of those. As a, as a consumer, I'd love to have more access to those right. fresh local versions of that. Um, but I, I think that still, if that's your mainstream product um, and a huge percentage of your production, um, I don't know that it's necessarily still a good business model. There are certainly some craft brewers out there um, maybe Narragansett comes to mind, sure. which is not in this marketplace, but um, that have done well. But I think they had the advantage at Narragansett of f- filling a void left by the departure of a historically popular beer sure. uh, that they were able to pick up, a la now Upland with Champagne Velvet. Very, very good beer. Um, that, and they're doing a great job with it. Absolutely great beer. Whether it's the history of Champagne Velvet or not, it's still a great beer. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think, there's, I think there's more opportunities today than there were 5, 10, 15 years ago. Um, but I still think, I still believe in the basic premise that I don't think as a craft brewer you can just hang your hat on that. I think the big brewers you see um, kind of the, coming at that same problem from the opposite approach. They are not still strictly hanging their hat on the light beers um, that they're well-known and famous for making now, yeah, okay, it's still 95% of their production. Right, because, uh, I mean, the flag- I mean let's look at the flagships of, of, the, of the big yes. three brewers in Indiana. So we have Cream Ale is, is, is or, I mean, Osiris Pale and Cream Ale right. uh, for Sun King. Uh, Upland is, I mean, Wheat. Is, wheat and is, Dragonfly. Wheat right? and Dragonfly are, cr- mm-hmm. are crushing it for them. Uh, what's, the th- what's the third one? I don't know, I forgot what this. What are you talking about? We're what's drinking it. Three Floyds. Oh yeah, Three Floyds. I mean, I guess. Well, three, 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 would you say what, Gumball Head or Alpha call, King? Uh, Alpha King and Gumball Head's doing well, especially yeah. now that those two are in cans. Yeah, yeah. Robert the Bruce still does well. Ro- Robert the Bruce. I love. Oh, I wish Scotch was more popular. I love me some yeah. Scotch Ale. Yeah, yeah. It's good stuff. But yeah. Jason, it's not. Uh, it's not Pride and Joy. It's <laughs> it, it, it's not. And I mean, the Wee Max fine. Oh, Wee Max, great beer. Yeah, we, I, yeah. We Max My is. wife's favorite beer. I, I like Weemac. Uh, I, I always get it served. Like I, I almost, I, for whatever reason, I don't buy a lot of Weemac for my house, um, and I usually get Weemac out. And I'm always disappointed because I think Weemac is very, very good served at the appropriate temperature for that mm-hmm. style, and it's not very good when it's served cold. It's great in a can, right. um, and I'm never patient enough. So it's really it's my own fault. I should just wait. Right. I should just wait and well, let it warm up a little bit. To me, Osiris is always a great beer. Um, so that's one we always have at the house. Do too. they? So do they? Because they have the Sun King uh, IPA now. Is that still Osiris or? No, okay. They they have um, is it SKB 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or E K is it E or S? No, it's SKB. I think it's SKB. SKB. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's a great beer. I, I will say I'm maybe just out of habit to some extent, but out of I love it. I still drink a lot of Osiris, even when I go to Sun King. I like. I honestly like. That was the thing was I thought that they had discontinued Osiris because I'm I'm at a Meyer I'm in the beer aisle I always check it out to see what's available and all I see is the the new IPA mm, they don't put Osiris in the grocery stores interesting because they don't want to sacrifice potentially the quality of Osiris sitting on a warm shelf ah they can't sell it cold in the grocery store huh. so they don't put it in the grocery store way to go oh, yeah that's a uh, Making the Osiris better for me. Dave and right. Clay for you. Is, uh, so how much? How much cold. of a pool? So we're talking about like cold beer versus like. So distributors have some power so, um, uh, in, in in this. But I mean, at the end of the day, if you're a distributor, you're going to sell to a liquor store whether they are good cold sellers or not. Yeah, I mean, legally, the distributor has to sell. They're not allowed to make a distinction. Uh, they're not allowed to. Uh, what is a word? Discriminate. Right. Uh, about who they sell to, as long as that person has a valid uh, license to sell beer. Right. Uh, we can refuse to sell to somebody without a license, obviously, um, as a distributor, or I could uh, when I was a distributor. Yeah. It, in fact, behooves you to refuse those people. Absolutely. You don't want to step outside the law because that's bad things happen yeah. after yeah. that point. But um, we try to influence. Um, legislatively, obviously, is the big thing now because. Uh, the law is pretty clear. Grocery stores can't sell cold beer. Right. Liquor stores can. Um, that's always a discussion and always a discussion as a distributor we were willing to be a part of. But the, it's it's a complicated and, and if you have a three-hour podcast one of these days, I'd yeah, be we happy. Be, we should take calls. We should take we, we, uh, a live podcast. <laughs> yeah, we can do it. But uh, it's, it is a complex subject. I wish there was a magic button to press that the legislature could just vote to make that all happen tomorrow, but there isn't. Um, and it's largely related to the licensing that already surrounds the liquor stores and the grocery stores. Right, right. Um, you'd be heavily punishing someone. Right. Um, if you who doesn't have a refrigeration overnight. infrastructure, right? correct? Yeah. Or who has paid a liquor store license might cost somebody a quarter of a million dollars. Right. A grocery store license might cost $10,000. Now, are effectively you're punishing those guys who paid the big money uh, for the liquor store licenses right. um, for essentially the right to sell cold beer. Uh, somehow you're going to have to work it out so you're not punishing somebody in the process. Right. And that's the job that I hope the legislature is able to, uh, to deal with. But that's why there's so much lobbying on both sides of it uh, legislatively because a lot of people have invested a lot of money uh, and a lot of Hoosiers, a lot of your neighbors and my neighbors, uh, whose livelihoods are going to be impacted one way or another. So how does kind of being in that sphere affect you as a drinker? Mm, as a drinker. Interesting. Well, because so, I, I mean, I presume we're with Monarch and you worked in, a, in, a, in an area of Monarch that was that was focused on craft beer. Yes. So I. And yeah. specialty import. And specialty import. Yes. Um, and, but Monarch does other stuff. Like, are you are you also uh, sampling bourbon and whiskey, or or are you mostly? Well, Monarch doesn't sell one? liquor. Oh, look at me! In Not fact, things. they don't sell wine anymore. They're strictly beer. Strictly beer, okay. Um, uh, yes. Yeah, so stop your whining, Aaron. Mm-hmm. That's come on. It, that's un- poorly timed. My hoppy one was was an accident. So. Uh, I'm so sorry. The, the advantage for me was, though, I got to meet and talk to a lot of people. I got to experience a lot of 
breweries. I've been to dozens of breweries, both in the United States and in Europe. Um, fantastic experiences. Um, it educated me and opened my eyes far more than it would have had I not been a part of the industry. Sure. Um, certainly developed opinions about the industry, the legal situations and all those things over that time um, that are certainly uh, some people disagree with and they're debatable questions at times. Um, but I feel like I appreciate beer much more than I ever would have otherwise. Right. Uh, and I've had the opportunity to drink beers that I never would have had the opportunity to drink um, had I just been um, doing you know, something else. Uh, right. From a professional standpoint, when I imagine not only drinking beers you wouldn't have drank, but drinking fresh beer that you wouldn't have, oh, yeah. that you wouldn't have drank, you know, I might be able to to get someone to illicitly mail me a a, a Pliny, but but I'm not probably going to go get one fresh anytime uh, soon. Yeah, yeah, I could tell you some Pliny stories because uh, we've been to Russian River and um, you talk about fresh beer. Remember, we were at Lagunitas one time, uh, just a few of us, and um, one of the guys from Lagunitas, great guy at Lagunitas, they're wonderful people, giving us a tour. Uh, they were uh, bottling Lagunitas IPA that day, so there's a ton of them coming down the line yeah. before they had their caps put on. Oh, man. And this guy says, no, grab one. Just grab one. No, just reach <laughs> in there. And you're kind of... You're like, I don't want to knock them over. I don't want to Right, yeah, exactly. But, oh, man, does that taste like the best beer you've ever had. Oh, man. It doesn't even have the cap on it yet. So, so I think what's fun, Lagunitas, so let's talk about breweries that get bought. Okay. Let's, let's do it. It's, it's going to be a good time. Well, we got a little time before the break, uh, so... Um, what, what's your thought? I'm going to ask yes, you Aaron, not we as... We have a, a little bit of time before the arbitrary... It is arbitrary. Uh, I was always about halfway through. Except last time, it wasn't halfway through because we did an hour and like 12 minutes. or It was our longest podcast ever. Or when the guest is really boring like this one, anyway, we were like, uh, you shut it down early, right? Absolutely 40, not. 47. Uh, one time I interviewed this guy, Aaron. <laughs> I don't know how long that one was. Um, <laughs> too too long. So, so not as someone who's worked as in, in the distribution industry, but as, as Bob the beer drinker, how do you feel about Lagunitas getting bought out, Goose Island getting bought out, like, does that affect your purchasing decisions? Yeah, you know, it's a tough question because it's hard for me to separate Bob, the former distributor, from Bob, the, the drinker, the enthusiast about beer. Um, I'm going to say this, and this is my honest opinion. When Goose Island got bought out, um, they were bought out by a company that I didn't have a great deal of admiration for, um, which is okay. I mean, sure. everybody has their opinion, right? And I have mine, unfortunately, or fortunately. Um and I kind of feared the worst. Right. So I thought, hey, you know, this is it. I'm done. You know, and I had been many times to Goose Island up in Chicago and, mm. uh, and all that kind of good stuff. And I felt terrible about it. Right. Um, but you know what the reality is over the years? Um, I don't think Goose Island has been really changed in terms of their beers and their quality that much. Right. Um, I think the same now about Lagunitas. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you see... Um, even craft brewers buying other craft brewers or, right. or forming sort of corporate alliances, as it were. And yeah, that's happening um, a lot out west, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and like even in Oregon, uh, there's like a conglomerate. or Yes. You know, like, um, Canarchy, which mm-hmm. is Oscar Blues and Perrin and um, Cigar City. Right. Uh, essentially all under that same umbrella. Um, if it impacts the quality, if it impacts the beer... Um, if some corporate guy or girl comes in and starts calling the shots that has nothing or, or little regard to the quality of the beer, the nature of the beer, that's a problem, and I'm going to stop drinking it. Um, but by and large, if they can maintain the quality of the beer, um, 
Well, in I'm some cases, them. it has the potential to improve the quality of the beer. It does. It gives them better purchasing power for hops, which is a big old deal. It does. Uh, gives them so. So I think that's, but that's not always. That's not always the motivation for the for the merger. I'm supposed. Well, there are financial considerations for sure. Sure. Um, and somebody, um, you know, locally or otherwise, who's worked hard um, and is still committed and passionate. Um, I say, you know, they should be rewarded. And if, they, if they've got an opportunity to make those deals and they want to make those deals, I don't want anybody to be pressured or strong-armed into a deal. I, don't, I certainly don't want to see that. Um, but if they're willing to make that deal and it works for them, then I say, hey, that's their choice. More power to them. They grew it. Um, they deserve it. Um, but, yeah, there are still – I mentioned that company previously. I'm still a little leery yeah, absolutely. Uh, of beers owned by them. Well, I, I think what's – for me, I, I think – it definitely affects my purchasing decisions, but but not because it's not that. I mean, I've had a, a Goose Island a time or two since then. Mm, I've heard uh, you have, yeah. might have enjoyed a Goose Island once. And, or twice. and for me, it's 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 more to do with like I, I think if the beer quality is good, mm-hmm. then it's no worry drinking the beer. Drink with you enjoy. Mm-hmm. Don't fuss about it. But I, I think for me, it's more of a what percentage of my beer dollars are going to go to support small guys that, cause, okay. because I want that to keep going and I want that right. to be a big thing. Uh, that doesn't mean I can never buy a Goose Island or any macro beer. It doesn't mean I can't drink Coors Light while I'm playing golf. Um, right. But, right. But, it, but it means that I'm going to spend most of my beer money uh, with the small guys if I, can, if I can help it. No, I'm with you. And for me, it might be Coors Banquet when I'm playing golf. Oh, that's uh, right. You're going to get uh, all those garbage <laughs> in there. That's right. I hear it's the champagne of bottled beer. Yeah. Right. The wide mouth can. I mean, it just gets me every time. I just love that shit. Right. Yeah. You just... There's place. There's time and a place for those. Yeah. There really is, and I don't look down upon them because of them being big companies. Um, but you know, as I said earlier, the marketplace is very competitive, um, and everybody's going to want to try to protect their turf uh, or try to protect turf that they think they would have earned in the next year or two, um, uh, and that's tough. But I'm with you. I want to see the smaller guys succeed. I want to see the local guys succeed. Um, and it's a tougher, tougher place for them. But it's partly a tougher place for them because so many local brewers have succeeded. Right. And have uh, already grabbed a lot of that market share, which I think is terrific. Yeah. Are the, is your sense in working, is your sense that the, like how worried are the big guys about the small guys? Because in a sense, the market share is still relatively small for craft beer. It is. I mean, it's what, 15, 16%. Right. Uh, Which is still, I mean, it, I mean, I mean, but ten ten years ago, before the boom, it was like like two, three. Yes. So, I remember, in fact, in '04 when we were when those numbers were in the like three and a half range, three and a half percent, and we thought, oh my gosh, if somebody said someday we're going to be at twenty percent, we thought that was a pipe dream, but that's a reality. Right. Uh, that's about where we're at now, um, and I, you know, kind of forgetting your question right away, but. Mm. Uh, I don't know if I remember either. Jason, do you remember what I asked? No, but I I, I do think it's interesting. (laughs) consume four ounces of beer, folks. Don't hold it against me. That's right. I I suppose uh, to me it is a little interesting, the idea that what I don't see as much on a large scale, like I don't hear about innovation as much. Sometimes Mm. you see innovation at your local local watering hole, um, but it doesn't really make it that far out of there. What you end up seeing now are much greater swings across the entire micro and craft uh, industry where, you know, like New England IPA came out and suddenly everyone's making a New England IPA um, rather than this brewery is unique and distinct. I feel like it, it seems like people are trying to not, 
they're not trying to be. They can't be as unique as they would like to be because there are so many people out there. And if you don't have what the other guy has, then someone just goes to the other guy. Yeah. Well, well I think you're right. And I think, you know, it, it does relate right to your question about what do the big guys make about them? Right. Um, how do they perceive it? You know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I don't know that they really had a good handle on that. I think it was we're going to have to wait and see how this works out. And we're going to try to protect our turf by buying out a few of these guys that are have notoriety like Goose Island mm-hmm. or maybe Elysian or Sweetwater or whoever it is ultimately. Um, but uh, I think you're right. I think now you have these, you know, like the New England style IPAs, and now it's become even milkshake IPAs right. or uh, what have you. Or brood is that is coming down the pike. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's really amazing. And I think... Um, now it becomes an industry to some degree that it's a copycat industry. And you almost have to be some bit of a copycat in order to keep up because people will come into your establishment, into your brewery, and say, hey, I really want a New England-style IPA, or why don't you have one of those New England-style right. IPAs? Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting. I think there's a, there's, a weird, there's a weird balance, and we will talk about the weird balance after the break because you seem to have to do one of two things in craft beer, at least from my perspective. And one of those Shit is, or get off the pot. is to be... Um, edgy and dynamic and different <laughs> mm-hmm. or you have to do one thing really fucking good and then it allows you to do lots of other things like you either have to have a flagship or right. you have to have a bunch of creative stuff that keeps people coming back so we'll talk a little bit more about like what it takes to make it as a brewery when we come back Welcome back to Plato's Gravity. Objection! Um, You, sir, claim to be a glass snob, but you did not rinse that glass out. Your beer glass, you just... I didn't pour more beer in it. You filled it with water. I filled it with water. I mean, Without rinsing it, you know that that same water that you're drinking right now, and I get that this is wasteful, but you could have rinsed the glass out. I'm not snobby about putting water on top of old beer. I'm snobby about putting beer on top of old beer. Yeah, or drinking I don't, water I don't, and calling it beer. I don't have that's worse. Uh, uh, <laughs> We've all had periods in our life where that's been true. Yeah, I mean, I've never what what drink, drink water, water and, and call, call it, beer? it beer. No, I don't no. do that. No. You've never. I turn water. I turn you, water. Sir, in, have never ridden the silver. I bullet. turn water into beer. What? That's right. Yeah. Home brewer. Home brewer. I mean, oh. that's sort of the interesting thing. You know, oh, the, the, I thought this was like a whole, I thought we were going on a, no, like the, a the, weird tangent here. It's not, a, it's not really. What Jesus did wasn't really a miracle, except for you when you consider the time. Yeah, it was the, the I mean, anybody can turn water into wine. That's, you just add grapes, right? <laughs> like, and wait. <laughs> but, but He just didn't have a Sabco or anything that he could uh, work with at that no, point. No, he didn't have, he didn't have a Sabco. I mean, I'm guessing that the, uh, that he, he, what? I mean, maybe he did add yeast nutrients. Maybe that was his secret. I don't know. I mean, he's the all-powerful everything. He can do what he wants. That's right. Um, yeah, but they didn't have maybe a homebrew shop uh, with, with winemaking supplies. <laughs> this, this, is this, not, took a, this took a weird turn. Yeah, this was not. Uh, this this, is, what this weird turn did is it took my mind away from what we were going to talk about. So sorry, guys, if you were super interested in the topic I introduced right before the break. Uh, but there we, is absolutely no way that we could go back and listen to what we have already recorded. I'm so sorry. We're not going to do that. That's not how technology works. But Get we, that out of your mind. But we are going to do is talk to Bob about how his time in the beer industry, and we haven't talked too much about uh, his, his his second role in the beer industry, was working at a software company that, that provided software for distributors. Um, but how that, that time is kind of... Uh, 
shape one of your other passions, which is education. Uh, yeah. So can you talk about like your approach or your thoughts about beer education? Well, you know, beer education is extremely important. And, and I will start by saying back in 04, 05, again, back to distribution days and to my more recent experience with software company, um, we always felt like the wine people got the jump on us from an education standpoint. Mm. You know, back in the 70s, 80s, um, uh, they really did a great job of getting out there. I mean, everybody that I know anyway yeah. can say, <laughs> sorry, can say, hey, you know, I need a white wine with fish or I need a red wine with meat. Right. Or sure. uh, maybe pasta, red sauce, et cetera. Um, and, and that sounds real basic and obvious, okay? But there's an educational component there. Somebody had to learn that. Right. And it wasn't always just firsthand experience. It was, you know, we were told that. That was a message that was preached by the wine manufacturers, et cetera. Um, now, in beer, there's such a huge variety of flavors. Um, and sometimes there's good flavors. Sometimes there's bad flavors. There's a huge variety of styles. And food pairing, I think, is even more difficult in the beer world uh, to pick on one area of of potential for education um as distributors and certainly brewers are always out there doing samplings um where they can do it in the liquor stores or in bars and restaurants um and when the wait staff the servers are on their pre-shift meetings by all means if we can get in on those meetings and serve right. some samples especially if it's a beer they're promoting that mm-hmm. day or that month or what have you we want to get in there and sample them there's no replacement for those uh, face-to-face uh, sampling, tasting, what we might call sensory opportunities, right. where somebody can smell and taste and see, uh, and we can really talk about the attributes of that beer, the potential for food pairings, um, the story of the brand. Um, how did the brand come about? I mean, there's all kinds of great stories. Um, but it has evolved for me uh, to the point where I think there's opportunities to do that in a digital world okay. with apps, uh, websites, um, et cetera. You can't replace the sensory component, right. um, and you never will be able to. Um, but the technology is there now um, to do what we might call micro-learning, sure. where we're delivering snippets uh, in one or two uh, or maybe no more than five-minute segments uh, about any number of beer topics. could be about how to make sure a glass is beer clean, uh, meaning it's appropriate to serve a beer in. What kind of glass? Um, could be the history of a brand or a brewery. Could be the history of a style. It could be what um, food pairings work with this style. Or if I'm in a restaurant as a server, what dishes on my menu should I be suggesting these beer pairings for? Um, can I can I learn that? And does that bring value? Do I make the diner or the consumer have a better experience because I make better recommendations or better choices, uh, et cetera. And I think there's a huge opportunity there. Um, distributor personnel, sure. uh, salespeople, brewery salespeople and personnel definitely need to be educated um, because they need to be able to fill the needs or suggest proper uh, options for the bars, restaurants, liquor stores, even grocery stores, et cetera. Um, uh, when they have a deficiency in some area or, um, 
gee, you know, I got a bunch of IPAs. Uh, what else do I need here? What else should I be serving? Well, you know, you're serving a lot of fish, and maybe IPAs isn't always the right answer right. for that. You uh, won't be able to taste the fish. Yes. It's not going to yes. play. Um, and there's an education uh, process involved there. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get back to a, a project that I had been working on a few years ago called Beer U, uh, which was a digital e-learning sure. uh, method of delivering this content. But, uh, you know, my goal is to be able to reach um, bar restaurant servers, and there are many, many, many tens of thousands of them Absolutely. in Indiana and certainly many more across the country um, who sometimes kind of get left out of that education loop as it were. Um, we talked and mentioned earlier the Cicerone program, yeah, which yeah. again is the gold standard, I think in both of our opinions, all of our opinions mm. uh, in terms of beer education. But wait staff and servers um, aren't always going to have the opportunity either financially or time-wise right. yeah. to get very far into the Cicerone program. It's just, it's just not uh, realistic. Right. Not going to happen. And they have that, that kind of basic tier, but even that takes, takes some doing. It does. Yeah. A, the basic tier is great. I, I definitely would want to see every server get to that basic level uh, at a minimum. Um, but beyond that basic tier up to the uh, certified Cicerone level requires a pretty fair commitment uh, personally and financially uh, for somebody to get into. Because there's a lot of study. There's a lot of reading. There's a lot of reviewing. And frankly, a lot of beer tasting uh, right. involved uh, in being successful at that. Um, I think there's got to be something in between for a, for a restaurant that's got 20, 25 servers or 15 servers, whatever that number is. But that 15 servers this month is not the same 15 servers next month because it turns over a lot. Right. Yeah. So I can't ask a, a restaurant owner in that circumstance to, to pay hundreds of dollars for each uh, one of those servers to do that. That's just not realistic. It's right. not a good investment. Um, if we could deliver smaller snippets of education and – to a great degree, it's about storytelling. Um, how many times do you guys go into a restaurant and ask a simple question? Hey, what local beers do you have? And I do this when I'm traveling. Sure. Um, uh, what local beers do you have? I want to try something different. I want to try something from around here. Yeah. And the uh, blank stare that comes back from the server, no offense to any servers, but right. they don't know. Okay. Uh, they're maybe heavily invested in the food or the, the menu uh, that is the food, not in what beers they have in tap, et cetera. Yeah. Um, or, hey, uh, do you have any IPAs? Or how about this? Do you have any American IPAs versus an English IPA or vice versa or okay. Imperial IPAs? And now you want to go further and say, do you have a milkshake IPA? Do you have a New England style IPA? Can the server answer those questions? I don't expect the server to be a certified Cicerone. Right. Um, which is the Samoyer, essentially, uh, version in the beer world. Um, but if you can answer some basic questions, you're going to do two things. You're going to make the consumer, the customer, a lot happier because you're going to have a better experience. And oh, by the way, you're going to have a better check. You're going to have a bigger check uh, because that consumer is going to spend more money. Well, I think, yeah. I, I mean, I had an experience just the other day. I went into a restaurant and I ordered what? A, I, uh, I ordered a beer that we talked about uh, earlier on the show. I ordered a Saucy Intruder. Ah, uh, right. And they were out of Saucy Intruder. Uh, and the, the, the bartender had an opportunity to offer me a replacement. Uh, for that rye IPA, and what he offered me were um, three uh, hazy IPAs, right. and that's I mean that's it says IP on the on the can, and that's sort of a beer marketing kind of caveat, right. and that's the danger. And it's like, well, I didn't want 
any of those. And I just ended up ordering a, a, a Founders uh, Solid Gold because they didn't actually have, uh, they didn't right. have, the only the, the rye IPA was the only thing they they had in, right. in the hoppy clear variety. So, um, so I there's think, kind of a fail there. There's a disconnect. Yeah, right. I mean, granted, Saucy Intruder is a real um, specific taste profile that's hard. To right. compare yeah, he would have been, he would have been better off actually offering me a whiskey, which they have at that place that I, right. that I went to. Yeah, <laughs> right. I, I would have said no because I, I I can't. But that's a great example. Well, great there's example. an interesting opportunity here because as a as a uh, server of alcohol, you have to get licensed to serve mm-hmm. alcohol. You have to take some amount of education anyway, and some of that education can be provided online. So there is an opportunity to fold in some of this along with the education you already have to get anyway to serve alcohol. Why not? know about the alcohol that you're serving. Yeah. And, you know, the serving alcohol training, is, which is in this state, it's tips training, yeah. um, they call it, um, is essential. Uh, and it's really about um, should this person be served if they've had too much? How the do answer you is no. deal with that? All those kinds of things that are very important. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think to your point, there are opportunities, especially for a server who's interested, yeah. um, who, who wants to learn more, um, to give that person the opportunity to drill further in there. And that's where I would, I would say the e-learning component to your point does come into play, Jason. Um, if I go in and I get five minutes, which as a distributor is gold and at that pre-shift meeting, right. when I can talk to most of the shift that's going on that evening about my beer and here are some of the key elements of my beer that you can share with your customers this evening. Um, that's great. That's five minutes I get there is solid gold, and I'm going to take it every time. Founders, but, solid gold. Solid. Well, there you go. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, it's quite the punny episode. <laughs> but if I, could, if I could give them the opportunity to say, hey, listen, if you want to go further into this, go to this site or get this app or whatever it is, um, I, I think that would be great. And, and there are resources out there. Um, I, I just don't think that they're um, compiled or... or uh, arranged to be that micro learning kind of thing. I, I would love it. You know, Home Depot does this, and and um, it's not uh, not to express any favoritism for Home Depot, but they actually have e learning for their staff. And sure. when they're in the store on their devices, their phones, um, they can walk down an aisle. Uh, they can take a picture of a product, and they can pull up the story of that product. So, in a matter of a minute or two, if a customer asks them something they can actually um, find out a great deal of information. They can drill down, as it were, from, well, this is a chainsaw, to, well, what kind of chainsaw do I need? A bigger chainsaw? You know, what kind of brands? All these kinds of things that are variables within the chainsaw world that I know nothing about, obviously. Um, But that gives them the opportunity on the fly, live, to drill into that information. And I would love to see that same kind of opportunity for beer. Um, Now, uh, there's, you know, the untaps of the world and, and beer advocates and all these things that, that can really provide great resources. But um, I don't think that that kind of story of IPAs is right. all compiled in one place that somebody can really quickly, easily access. And uh, not to keep using IPAs uh, as an example, it could be wit beers, it could right. be Scottish Ales. And I'm going to have to pick and choose because these are the 12 beers I've got on tap right. tonight. Mm-hmm. 
And those are the stories I'm going to talk about because that's what I've got in front of me. Well, I, I think one of the, so, so I have a couple, uh, this is a fascinating topic and I, I have a couple questions and one, I, I want to just kind of challenge the, the idea, not because I think it should be challenged, but because I think it'll provide a wonderful answer. But because okay. you uh, cannot so, not compete. So what, well, no, I think, I think, I don't know what if, I'm talking about. If you're, no, I, I, I think you, I think you do. I wouldn't know. So if, if you're a restaurant owner, um, and, and I think you know the the difference between obviously Home Depot and a restaurant owner is resources. You know, yeah. Home Depot makes an app and they have you know thousands of employees, and so there's a, there's a value proposition for yes. them. And so this is is it's it, it, it there if you pool your resources and realize that this is not for a restaurant but for a collection of restaurants, yes. you can, you can get to the value proposition. Um, but but I think in the restaurant industry you kind of have another uh, another issue, which is the perceived value of beer sales. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so your, your competition for beer you isn't necessarily you know. Uh, so on one hand, your competition is lack of current education, or actually that's your that's your that's your that's the, the, the reason the business exists. But right. it's apathy towards beer education. And on the other hand, it's martinis are eleven dollars, and mm-hmm. this beer is six dollars, and I want my ticket to be as high as possible. And, and, you know, I think there's a lot, that's kind of a, a pregnant discussion, but you could talk about how you, you, oh you might overcome that or what misconceptions might be buried in there. Uh, you're exactly right. Um, I would say this though, um, that restaurant serves beer for a reason. Sure. Um, they don't serve strictly martinis. Um, if a customer wants a martini, they're not apt necessarily to buy a beer. Right. Um, the customer that really wants a beer isn't necessarily apt to buy a martini. Right. Um, so in that scenario, I think my best option as a server or restaurant owner is to get the best ring and the best customer experience I can in that niche, in this case, beer. Now, is that helpful when the customer is looking for a cocktail or a mixed drink? No, it's not. Um, And hopefully they're knowledgeable about those things as well. I think the big challenge there from the restaurant owner standpoint, you make a lot of good points. I think the biggest challenge, though, is... I'm expecting my server to have a lot of information, and they've right. got a lot of things to juggle. They need to know what's on the menu tonight, which is primary, um, right. because that's where my bread and butter is, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought you were going to say it was ribs, <laughs> prime, primary. Right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that, that, that would have been good. Gosh darn it. Yeah, it's always after the fact I <laughs> yeah, recognize that I could have made a great joke and didn't. No, that's but, good. Uh, you, really, I was really, you were just setting me up. I think I appreciate it. No, that's fine. Um, but... Uh, uh, that is, I think, where the competition is. That's where the challenge is. Is it, and, and again, to your point, is it worthwhile enough for me to invest five minutes with my server today um, versus maybe they need to mo- know more about this mixed drink uh, because I've got an Italian sports car as a mixed drink tonight, and they need to know the ingredients to go into that, and they need to be able to describe what it tastes like and where and when the consumer should be drinking it. Um, so as a server, uh, I don't know that people appreciate it in the general public, but you're juggling a lot of things in your brain. Right. Uh, there's a ton of things to know, uh, yeah. and you never know them all. But I think it's, it's, it behooves the beer industry um, as a whole to do the best they can to make that information available or to provide that opportunity so that they can at least compete there. And that's why I brought up the wine um, uh, education piece uh, kind of at the beginning of this content um, because they did a good job with it. And I guess I say I salute them, right? Um, uh, but the beer industry also needs to step up. Now, in that environment where you've got a server who knows everything and answers every question properly and makes the right suggestions and the consumer chooses 
a wine, a beer, mixed drink, or what have you. Um, so be it. That's where the that's where the chips fall, right? Um, and See, that's. Yeah. Where you're at. And you're really trying to create that sort of education infrastructure. Because I, I think what's interesting is the beer industry, um, if you, if you kind of step back and don't look at the results, but look at what the what, what are the kind of the brass taxes, the beer industry has a leg up because so many producers in the beer industry have direct access to their customers. Yeah. And, and they have direct access to their employees. And, you know, a, a, a brewer stands much more to gain from beer education yes. than, than, than a restaurateur. Uh, yes. is, is that... Demographic part of your of, of your target, I think. I think to great extent the the, the distributor becomes uh, a, the kind of focal point of my target because the distributor talks to every retail account, sure, bar, restaurant, liquor store, grocery store, etc. Um, but yeah, absolutely, the brewer. My assumption is though generally that the brewer is pretty knowledgeable to begin with. Sure. Well, they wouldn't be a brewer. Mm-hmm. Um, if I go to a brewery or brew pub and I'm talking to a server there and they don't seem knowledgeable, I think that's really the exception. Sure. Um, for the most part, when I go into uh, a brewery and I talk to the staff there, they're enthusiastic, which is why they're there to begin with. And therefore, they're knowledgeable because they've spent time consuming the product and learning about the product and hearing stories from the brewers, uh, et cetera. Um, so in my opinion, generally speaking, the brewer has that information. However, I love it, and I think it's the best possible of all worlds when the brewer is out there sharing that information. Um, and if a brewer can be at that pre-shift meeting, wow. That's right. that's a home run. That's a huge opportunity because they're gonna the, the staff, the servers are gonna look at that brewer in a very different way than they're gonna look at me, Mister Distributor, um, who's not the brewer. Uh, they're gonna look at it and, and treat it very differently. So, how do you feel about? Uh, and this will maybe be this is this is kind of just a. I like to ask at least one gratuitous question uh, every every right. episode where I ask a question that really just probably I care way more about than anybody else because um, the beer education comes in different flavors. Um, like there's rye and I'm just kidding. Um, so, but one of the flavors, um, of beer education, I think is really focused on, a, a, like an immediate and, and low hanging value proposition. Like a lot of brewers put the lines on the glasses so yeah. that the, the, the drinker knows they're supposed to be ahead on the beer. Aaron mm-hmm. is stroking um, his and glass. They, and they don't get, they don't get frustrated by this. Um, and I think that's fine. And I, you know, I think, well, I want ahead of my beer, so you don't need to put a line there for me. And I get a mm-hmm. little disdainful about it, even though I shouldn't. So, um, do you feel like that's that's kind of a, a good direction among the other directions, or do you feel like focusing more on on getting the right tasting beer in the right consumer's hands is more important? I think that's an excellent thing to talk about. I think that is a great piece of information that is very important to the beer culture in general. Sure. Um, now, in Europe, extremely common if you go to a bar or restaurant that you get a a glass with a line on it that says this is how much beer you paid for, this is how much beer you're getting, and oh, Mm -hmm. by the way, there's room left for the head. And in America, there's still a large perception there that if you didn't get that beer poured right to the tippy top in pure liquid and no foam, that you're getting gypped somehow. Yeah, my dirty shaker pint doesn't have any head on it when I put Coors Light in it, and it's full, damn it. Yeah, and I think that's, um, it's perceived as... uh, I need that full glass by most consumers. But you're really doing a disservice to the consumer. The consumer just isn't necessarily aware of it. And I think to be able to tell that story, and here's why sometimes there's a line on that glass, to tell that story um, is a better story. I think um, it leads to this point, and I think it's a real important point. Um, 
you're raising the perceived value of beer in the consumer's eyes when you can tell them that story, an honest story, right. not a dishonest one, um, and now create a better experience for them with the beer. Now they're potentially, anyway, more prone to pay the 6 or $7 for the premium pint right. than they were paying the $3 pint special. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a win for the, the, the restaurant, bar, liquor store, whomever it is who's selling the beer. And I think it's definitely a win for the brewer as well. Especially for like those really experiential restaurants where you go and you expect the best food and the best mm-hmm. waiter. And if someone is stuttering over, oh, I don't know much about the beer, it kind of detracts from your trust in what the restaurant produces. Whereas mm-hmm. if the waiter comes up and they seem expert in everything they can possibly offer you, just trust all the way down your experience. The food will taste better. Everyone makes more money. It's maybe not... I mean, you could say that something uh, like that would apply to, like, an Applebee's, right? Where, oh, sure, we can get the $2 upcharge on on the solid gold versus the Coors. But, um, I mean, they're going to sling beer all day long. These experiential places, it really does make sense as yeah. an investment to get people well I think as a consumer I'm a huge fan of this idea because I I love it when I go into a place and mm-hmm. I you know you know I don't need I, I don't need a server to tell me what beer to order on a menu most of the time like I'm, I'm good right sometimes um, but I'm there's, there's too much good beer sir <laughs> I haven't had it all you know, and there's, there's the, the lines are all dirty uh, <laughs> but um, but it's nice and refreshing when they do know yes. what they're talking about and that's an experience i value and I, I think for the consumer you're like yeah yeah get these servers trained up um and, and i think w- w- what's what's interesting is is trying to connect the value proposition not only for the restaurant owners but for the servers themselves mm-hmm. and say you know you know your job is is uh, you're in the service industry and you know i hope that people who are serving are fulfilled by serving yeah, and, and by putting good products in people's hands, it makes them, it, it makes them happy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, some people serve to make money, and that's fine. And some right. people do lots of jobs to make money. But I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is at least creating an opportunity where individuals can improve themselves. And I think well, uh, what'll be interesting as you kind of push forward this project is is uh, how these the, the this content, what the who who the voice or what the voices of this content and who's delivering that message, and you know. I think it's kind of interesting. You might have opportunities to have messages about the messages from the brewers in certain cases, depending on what the types of absolutely. And, and you know, you might have you know this guy who oh, well, you know, we got to do beer on tap. So do this new do this new lesson because you know, uh, and you know how it, it's 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 fascinating to see what could be done. And and you're right, the technology is absolutely there. It is to to deliver this uh, uh, at scale, and you can do big things with it, and then. As you generate revenue, you can do some really interesting things in local markets. I think that's fascinating. I think so, too. And I, you know, I'll make one more point here, not to, to drag it out too much. But you mentioned, uh, and you're right, when you say that you're very knowledgeable. Uh, I'm pretty knowledgeable. Jason is. And a lot of people are. I've had know. a beer. You've had a beer. Yes. In fact, I just saw you have a beer. So I First time ever. Statement. All he ever has <laughs> is Alpha King, actually. We, he lies. To, well, I actually drink all the beer, and he just gets Alpha King. That's yes. it. Bummer. Bummer. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's a rough, it's a rough life. Yeah. Someone has to live it. But um, even when you're a knowledgeable person, and you know full well, you can walk yeah. into a bar, or restaurant, and take care of yourself, so to speak. Right. You, you're going to make a good choice in ordering because you're going to order what you like, right. and et cetera. And you may have well have made that restaurant choice because you knew what beers they had. Right. But how many times do you walk into a place, 
like that in that circumstance and the server comes back over and said, oh, gee, I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. Haig, the um, uh, saucy intruder that you want, we just blew the last keg yeah. and we don't have any more. And what if that person was then able to make a suggestion? You know what we're putting on after that saucy intruder now that it's gone? And uh, I'm sorry, Black Acre, I, I hope you'll have more saucy intruder in here, by the way. But um, it could be the suggestion that really lights up your night, that really makes a difference to you during that experience. Oh, hey. That's great. You know, I've never had that. I really want to try that. And that could be a real positive experience, even though you know full well what you're doing. Right. And you went in there having already sort of predetermined because you knew better right. I, than I might have server. had my back up here, but I'll take a good suggestion all the time. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and sometimes, sadly, the server just doesn't know. And it's not a fulfilling experience. If you've got a good story about a beer, I don't necessarily even care what style it is. And I think that if you come with a good story about anything you're presenting, people are more likely to buy it. Mm -hmm. Regardless, and more likely to enjoy it regardless of whether they would enjoy it uh, outside of having known that story. Yes. Um, So at the risk of running incredibly long, this has been very fascinating. Jason, I think it's time for your off-the-wall question. Oh, jeez. I just spun, um, it, I spun it on you. Sometimes okay. I do tap on tap first. So I have to uh, – you'll have to excuse me. I'm going to, I'm going to put the boys away. I'm going to holster my guns. You're canceling the show? Right. Yeah, I'm canceling. Ladies are all tuning out right now. Gun show don't, is don't, canceled. Don't knock over the microphone. With I'll your, do what I want. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so I was thinking I was thinking earlier about – we were talking about uh, the whole issue of uh, big – Big Bev, Big yeah. Beverly Beverage Company buying Little Beverly Beverage Company. Are you yeah. breaking the rules? About what? The question. Well, no. So I was imagining that, like, in my head, I was thinking, like, well, if, well, maybe a little bit, but we'll see. I was imagining in my head that if, if I were a brewery, and I'm not, I'm a human being, it would be, like, you can't make beer in me. Maybe you can. I'm not sure. <laughs> but if I'm a brewery and AB and Bev comes and, and, and the Monopoly man climbs out of the sludge at the bottom of their fermenting tanks and he he erupts in a froth of garbage and bat piss, whatever they put in those cans. Um, and he's like, here's all the money. Here is all of it. And he just starts throwing money at me like he's the goddamn Monopoly man from AB and Bev, which he is. Um <laughs> And I accept, and I'm like, yes, please, I will take this money. And I take the money and run, right? That's. I was thinking that, like, heck yes, I would do that. But that's not the question. That's that's actually a statement. What is the Monopoly man's name? Oh, gosh. Parker Brothers? Is he a Parker? No, he's not one of the Parker Brothers. Uh, I don't know. I don't know the Monopoly man's name. Neither do I. Hmm. I'm still struggling with whether or not that metaphor was abstract enough to not be a question about beer. Uh, I think it was. I think it's well, fine. Okay. Because no, you asked I, the Monopoly man's name. Yeah, I asked the Monopoly man's name, not the ABN Bev Monopoly slop bat piss. But what man. if he'd answered like the name of the head Clydesdale or something because he, he got the metaphor? That would that. Do you well, know the name of the Clydesdales? But you I know, have. I, I know Clydesdale. I don't know any of their individual names. I also no. do not. Even even I if he had used one of those names, Aaron, I have I work with two people named Aaron. I hope that they're Dancer you know, and Prancer and Rudolph <laughs> and the like. I think that'd be great. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, maybe I'll find out the names of the uh, Clydesdales and put them in the shots. I don't know. That'll be fun. Maybe you'll buy me a Clydesdale for Christmas. Uh, no. 
Mm-hmm. I will not. You would hate that. Aaron, what time is it? You would like it for... It's time for uh, Tap on Tap? Is it? Yeah. Is this the time where you... Yeah? You ask questions I'm gonna, about... I'm going to... I'm going to read some beer. Actually, let's uh, let, before we go to the tap on tap, I want to kind of follow up. So Jason had this metaphorical question that was leading to, I think, a question mm. um, that uh, if you're familiar with the gestalt principle of completeness, then you're familiar with the fact that our listeners might be upset that they didn't get to hear you answer the question that he was alluding to. Nerd! It's, it's leaving a huge void in their lives. It is. Uh, no it doubt. Is. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, so uh, I, I have a very, a, a very definitive and compassionate opinion about this. But I, I, I mean... Do you feel like there's there's judgment that should rain down on on on, on someone who who could be objective? Let, let, let's pretend that we that it's it's Brewery B, uh, and it, Brewery B was a fantastic brewer, and um, and let's just say we don't know anything about this brewer except that we do know that that the Monopoly Man came out of the sludge, bat piss sludge Monopoly Man. Yeah, he came out of the sludge, and he he said to Brewer B, "Hey, guess what." We want we want to give you a, a, a large sum of money, a sum of money that the most people would turn down or not be able to turn down, uh, and we're going to ruin your beer, uh, and we're going to sell your beer. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna buy the the cheapest grains. We're gonna we're gonna stop using the yeast you get, and we're gonna stop using the hops you do. We're just gonna we're gonna get it as cheap as we possibly can. We're, we're gonna put gonna, it on our contracts. I think it's the it's the correct. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna use we're gonna use our stuff. Um, how do you feel about this uh, the decision when the, when Brewer B takes the uh, the unturnable un, unturnable down about on, on money? Well, no question. I don't like it um, personally. I don't like it, right? Because I do feel um, a part of belonging to right. the craft beer community, the independence of it. But I do also intellectually believe that if that brewer B yeah. has gotten to that point, um, that's his or her call to make. Right. That's their decision. Am I gonna? I'm gonna try like the Dickens not to hold it. As a personal grudge, uh, by any stretch. So when they open Brewery C, are you are you going? Am I if I like Brewery B an awful lot? Yeah. Um, and I thought they were going to go. Uh, hey, listen, that that's not entirely uh, unheard of. Right. That Brewer B sells out. Uh, the product that was Brewers B now goes into the dumpster. Right. Um, and they open Brewery C now. Very often, there's non-compete agreements that go along with those buyouts, but. Right. Maybe they wait out the non-compete and they show right. up elsewhere and do something different. If I had a lot of respect and admiration for that Brewer B when he was still Brewer B before right. he sold out to the big guy, um, I'm going to check out Brewer C yeah. when it comes around. Um, and in my mind, maybe that is his or her way of having the last laugh. Right. They collected the money and they're still out doing their thing. Well, Make it and, rain. And, I, and I think uh, my, my compassion of you is I think pretty similar – to, 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 to kind of the opinion that you shared is, is I think when that happens I'm sad but I'm not judgy mm-hmm. like I can be sad that I lost something yeah. uh, I lost uh, and I think ownership is a great way to talk about that like you feel a part of this brand like this is something you've, you, you've, you've it was good enough that you shared it with your friends and you recommended it to people and you sold it um, and you, you do feel part of that and, and so there's some loss involved there so it's obviously reasonable to feel sad but then to, to like begrudge someone for for you know cashing in and, and, and you know m- you know moving from a place where their future might have been in financial jeopardy to where it's not I mean I think uh, right. you, you gotta you, you just gotta let people be people there's yeah. there's a I there's agree. there's a song by the band Tool are you, are you guys familiar with the band Tool uh, I no. am not okay there's a, there's a song by the band Tool that's about this very subject and uh, listeners at home may or may not know it it's a song called Hooker with a Penis it's it's about this very subject. 
Um, immediately, I don't like it. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. so, um, it's a really hard name to get past, but it's such right. a good song. It's uh, very, uh, uh, very coarse language. It has nothing. Well, okay. It's the band describing themselves because they were tired of being called sold sellouts. Yeah, right. So they're describing uh, the title is self is reflexive. They are hookers with penises. Because they they sold themselves for money to make music. It's a great song. One well, in, in its own way, that's a great analogy. <laughs> I mean, you're getting in somebody's face there, and yeah. you're 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 providing a kind of an extreme analogy. But I, <laughs> we tend to want to condemn sellouts as yeah. consumers, um, and I don't think it's always fair. Davy Havoc all day long. I'm just going to keep throwing out these millennial music references. Nobody gets them. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually r- r- preparing for tap untapped. Yeah, so sure I, you are. I, I, okay, I, I, so I are you familiar with the rules of a tap untapped? Um, basically, Aaron okay. will three questions, ask right? you three. Qu- Aaron will give you three hints, and then you will embarrass yourself and mm-hmm. bring shame on your family. And well, they're used to it. Or you'll get three <laughs> beer icons. We haven't had the three beer icons since we changed the rules. We used to make people guess the beer brewery and and beer all in one. You had to get them all three to get one point. It was dumb. Ooh. Uh, basically, you had to, you didn't have to guess them all three, but you had to get the name of the beer. And Do people s- get three points with any routine? Uh, no, no, regularity? absolutely no. not. No, okay. people get one point with. I think both since we changed the rules, both 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 people have gotten one point, so that's good. Okay, so when I get a zero, I'll set a new no, you uh, won't. record. Uh, all right. So and and then uh, you should keep in mind. Uh, I like to give everyone a hint. Uh, okay. I'm not trying to fool you. Okay. So um, we've already discussed before the show. This is a local brewery. Yeah, it's a it's a local brewery. All right. Uh, so yeah, um, Aaron, local to where? Uh, it's 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 local it's, to Arkansas, but it's it is not local. it's not it's local to here. Um, so where the, is the, here for the, the listeners at home for the first time, listeners, Aaron? It's it's, it's in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, so. so Solidly. I almost said the name of the beer. That would have been terrible. I've chosen yeah. uh, 3.75. Uh, this person had it in the taster. And basically, I give you as much information as I can without revealing the name of the brewery. So right. uh, sometimes that means I'm going to be able to tell you where they bought it. And sometimes they bought it at the brewery, So, mm. uh, which is the case That's here. That's a good clue, then. Yes. Uh, which is, uh, this uh, was, was purchased at the brewery. Uh, it was in a taster. And they, uh, they said 3.75 bottle caps. Um, which is a reasonably good score on tap. Uh-huh. Uh, solidly malty with some clean, easy, fruity hops. Could session this one easily. Um, this person is Chris K. Uh, Hi, Chris. Oh, Chris K. I know all of his check-ins. Yeah, they, they did not. Uh, they did not. Chris K. Did not. No leave, badges. Did what a lame-o. Any, Chris, you're so lame. Did not earn any badges with this check-in. Sometimes the badges have hints, especially if you're on untapped and you know what the, the badges mean. Uh, that's not us they can, but they we can. like to read them anyway they're fun um this is uh so ben b i think is going to help you out a little bit uh he drank it in a bottle ben b a bottle uh, yeah it was ben that's b too many ben b's b. ben b bottle um uh, he says he drank it. He drank it at Mohawk Elementary School. <laughs> so I, oh, that seems yeah. uh i'm very I, familiar with the selection at Mohawk. are you <laughs> yeah quite, um, quite good yeah, I, I think they ran out of chocolate milk that day. That's and, impressive. Uh, it's slightly <laughs> illegal, I think. I mean, it's, I don't think it's illegal to drink at an elementary school if you if they're not children present. Like, do they have? I mean, I, well, I guess beer well, like teachers' parties. We don't have any idea if Bin B is uh, is a child or an adult. I guess we have to assume untapped. Probably he looks adultish in his picture. Oh, it's very tiny. He's well, holding good. a trophy. That's good. That's He's holding a trophy. Uh, <laughs> it looks like an NCAA trophy, inappropriate but it's beer too drinker. tiny for me to understand. Uh, he gives it a 3.5, and he says uh, he drank it out of a bottle, uh, and he earned the New Brew Thursday level two badge. 
Oh, so it wasn't on the weekend at the school. Congratulations, it was just during Pat. the week. Yeah. All right. Um, and he says hints of citrus. You can taste the pine like they advertise. Hints of citrus. You can taste the pine oh, like they all advertise. Right. All right. So uh, the only discerning characteristic that I'm getting out of this is that it is, uh, it's got hops. Yeah. It's, it's well, a beer that has hops in it. That's crazy. That's pi- amazing. Pi- piney hops. And, and uh, bottle. That yeah. is obviously a, yeah. a good clue because there's so many cans these days. There are lots yeah. of cans. Does anyone else like? Uh, you I know think the, this, this this beer is available in a can as well. It it's is a, in a, it's can a, it's a as free well. hint. You know the uh, like the original German beer laws. The what the, the Reinheitsgebot. Yeah, every time I try to think of the name for it, I think Gewurztraminer. That's <laughs> a very different thing. <laughs> it's a very different thing, and I just thought that you would enjoy that. <laughs> Mm. Uh, are you familiar with Digsby's Bar and Grill? Bigsby's, yes. Uh, so yeah, so uh, they uh, they sold this beer on seven eleven nineteen. That's the the date that was uh-huh. given by pretty Sky, recent by Skylar W. Uh, another fun night five oh four. Pick up the key behind the tire and squat behind the dumpster. That's the review. What? The, what? That's the Hold review. Uh, he might have had too much to drink. That I, night. He might have. I, I I think so. Before the squat behind the dumpster bit, I think he's just telling someone that he's getting an Uber. And that they've agreed to take his car home, and so uh, he's telling them where to get that, the key. So yes. I, I follow up until the squat behind the dumpster bit. Yeah, um, but I, I appreciate he's, he's not driving. That's a good. Yeah, thing. yeah I, I appreciate, don't appreciate yeah. that. I think he's. I think he's pooping somewhere. Uh, he drank it out of a can, uh, and it's a middle of the road level seventy four badge. So I mean, mm. it, the, the, the road. The Do 74, not don't poop in the middle of the road. The level seventy four badge is consistent with the with the drinking that All right. the level of drinking that might have you post this. What's this uh, guy? Wait, who's this? Skyler? Skyler, Skyler W. Skyler, you uh, got Another fun night, 504. Pick up the key behind the tire and squat behind the Turn dumpster. down. I think that's the most ridiculous review that we've had. Turn down for sleep, Skyler. Turn down please. for what? Sleep. Uh, turn Poor down. Skyler. All right. Fantastic. Uh, I'll give you one more because that one was ridiculous. This isn't that helpful either. They had it on draft. They uh, got it at the yard house. Yard house, uh, okay. Uh, and <laughs> it's 3.25. Uh, bottle caps, and they say meh. And I think three point two five is a nice is a nice rating for for someone who says meh. Meh. Yeah, a lot, a lot of times. Like a meh rating. Yeah, we'll see yeah. like people like this is the greatest beer I've ever had. I love this so much. I would die for this beer. Two and a half stars. <laughs> so people are harsh. So we know it's a bottle and can and draft beer. People go to the brewery. It's at Digsby's. People drink a lot of it. Uh, someone said it's sessionable, citrusy, piney. What do you got here for us, Bob? All right, you know, I got a, I, I, the first thing that was kind of coming to me uh, was uh, Dragonfly, Upland Dragonfly. Okay, yeah, uh, because uh, maybe it's not piney per se, but it's bottle and can and it's hoppy. Um, but I think you said it's specific to Indianapolis. I did say that. I did say so that. So Bloomington doesn't fall into that no. uh, category. So now tough. Who in Indianapolis? Well, let's go for the style first. Sometimes it's easier to go IPA. for the style. It's an IPA. Yeah, yeah it's fantastic. Okay. That was a that was a gimme. Um, and who is making an IPA in Indianapolis that's both in a bottle and a can? And I can count on that. It's both right. in a bottle and you a can. You can count on that. The pictures suggested, you know what? I don't know if it's in a, I'm pretty sure it's in a bottle and a can. It's definitely in a bottle. And I can tell you what, I've had a lot of it out of a keg. A lot of it out of a keg. I have. Out of a um, keg. Not so much recently, but in the past, I had a lot of it out of a keg. Huh. What about Triton Rail Splitter? Ooh, Triton Rail Splitter is a good guess. Uh, Bob, I'm going to give it away now. We're going to call that as we're going to give you a, a one beer on the on the charts. But All I'm right. going to I think in the secondary round of this game, I can give it away. All right. I've had a lot of it in a keg that you procured. 
Oh, I'm spacing. Oh man, so so men's club meetings at the uh-huh. uh, yeah yeah it's uh, I'll give you the brewery and you you come up with the beer then okay. this will be easy uh, Fountain Square. Oh, this would be hot for teachers. Hot for teachers. Yes, hot for teacher. great yeah. beer. Yeah, great good beer. song yes. by Van Halen. Yeah, it's uh, oh it's no different thing. No, it's it's hot for teachers. Fantastic uh, beer. Yeah, yeah. We had a real a group of followers was, for hot for. There was a good run for hot for teachers. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, oh, it was now really, I feel terrible. I didn't get that. Yeah, that's all right. I was trying. To, I don't remember if the memory was there. We love it up, but uh, oh, hot yeah. for teachers. Son of a Dragonfly would have been a good. It'd be very like me to pick a beer. I know you listened to the last episode, so it would have been like me to, to pick that's, a beer that we that mentioned. Yeah. Popped into my head. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> that's good gameplay right there. Three point it. three and a half stars. Meh, meh. meh. <laughs> uh, but apparently, hot for teacher has inspired some some very fun nights. Uh, that's what we've learned. We have been a part of some of those nights. Yeah, uh, yeah. gladly. Uh, absolutely absolutely there's not no one pooping in the middle of the road like skylar that's the narrative i have well, for that guy behind the dumpster anyway so well, what's the, the d- i'm assuming the dumpster yeah. was in the middle of the road the dumpster was not he got the middle of the road there was badge. A, there was i think pi- that badge you, did, you didn't see the picture of the dumpster it was off the side oh there was not a picture of the dumpster. Oh, <laughs> ridiculous. so bob, bob let's uh let's let's come back to to the beer you idea one more time before we wrap it up okay. we are we are, we are over time but i want to so so what's uh I know that you you just started a sort of a, another education venture. What's your kind of roadmap for this? Like, are you are you looking at what's your time frame uh, in terms of reviving this project that you're turning back to? Well, I, I think and hoping in the next three months. Uh, I, I will say this: I'm a little a little busy right now. My wife and I have a new business venture that yeah. I'm uh, focused on, and and I love working with my wife uh, in this. It's now the family business, and it's not a beer business, which is the real downfall of it. But. Um, it's great business, and, and it's a big part of our future. But roadmap, I hope in the next three to four months, I can have some demo. I have a lot of content because I collected a lot of content sure. when I was with uh, Monarch World Class and even um, more recently uh, with my uh, most recent employer. Um, it's really how do you package that content. Right. And um, uh, I have a couple of leads on, uh, I wouldn't say app developers, but companies that have apps that the content could fit neatly into that delivers it in the way that I think we want to deliver it or right. need to deliver it that makes sense to the end user. Um, so I would hope by the fall or certainly by the end of the year um, that we're going to have some, at least a demo or beta version of it nice. in place. Um, and I'm hoping that some of my friends uh, in the industry uh, will be able to uh, look at it, use it a little bit, and, yeah. and, and give me some feedback and say, hey, is this, is this something that could gain some traction or have some value? I'm, I'm not doing it um, to make money. If I make money from it, I think that's great. But I think there's a, a real need for it, and I'm, and I'm passionate about it, and I think it would be fun to do, quite right. honestly. It's kind of like the podcast business. You know, If you make money ultimately from doing podcasting, great, so much the better. But you're doing it because you love doing it. Love and talking about time yeah, with it, right? Absolutely. Um, and that's kind of where I feel like I can stay connected to the beer industry and the beer business um, and, and do something fun that hopefully is useful. Um, uh, so we'll see. We'll yeah. see what happens. Well, for my part, I hope that uh, in the future I get some better beer recommendations on, on, on account of the work that you do with Beer You. And uh, I hope that uh, people who listen to this, if they're interested, they can reach out to, to Bob. We'll have some sort of contact information in the, uh, in the shows. Uh, I don't know if you how, how much that con- word. Yeah, it's a, we we like to mash up words. The show notes. Uh, the show notes. Yeah. We didn't get to your b- journey. Uh, no, it's not called the beer journey. It's called the what is it called? It's the 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 brusade is the story of your beer drinking. So maybe maybe some other time we'll, we'll ask you about your brusade. 
Um, My wife can't even get to that. That's <laughs> <laughs> so, but thanks a lot. Thanks a ton, Bob, for coming on the show, uh, making it over to uh, my mother-in-law's house. Uh, we have a nice environment here. I don't thank me, Aaron. Jason, I never thank you. It takes me 45 minutes to get here. So uh, we want to thank our listeners, though. Not Jason, but, but our listeners. I live listeners in the same city as you, for... and it takes me 45 minutes. Indianapolis, get your shit together. <laughs> thank you all for listening to the show. Uh, if you'd like to find out more again about uh, Bob's new uh, potential venture or, or you want to reach out to us at podcast at Plato's uh, or on Twitter and Instagram at Plato's Gravity, we would love to hear from you. I believe Jason gave you some homework earlier in the show. He oh, wants shit. You, what did I say? Uh, I think you wanted them to tell us about a beer suggestion that's been made for you that changed your life. Uh, and if you didn't, that's still a good piece of homework. Wait, did I say that? You did. You did. It was a great moment on what the podcast. What the what? Yeah. I'm more uh, interested and you know what, if you Jason? have you know fan what, fiction. Thank you for that contribution to the show. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, we are going to hop off. It's been a fun time. We hope you guys uh, have a uh, great time. Yeah, until, next time until next time, uh, learn a little bit more about the beer you're drinking, brew some of it, and uh, have some fun. <laughs> <laughs>